Is that okay? I have to tell you, I don't, like, when we were in the barn, how many of you were here when I say in the barn? You're like, oh, I smell member that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In the barn, it was, we were just, we were in a roping arena, and we sat where they often tied the horses, which means that you're sitting right in the pee. Which we thought was, I mean, not like it wasn't wet there, but it could have been. And we thought, this is great. We loved it. And then, you know, always a group of us would all just go to eat after church. And you get up and go to the bathroom and then come back and realize how bad the people that you were sitting with smell. Yes, we had an outhouse. I'm telling you, it makes you super, super thankful for what we have now. So it is, it's a, it's a good thing. Anyway, I say all of that to say that, you know, when you're standing in the dirt, a couple of weeks ago, it was our electricity wasn't working or something. And Darren came down here on the floor and I said, sitting here and I thought, I miss, I miss, I don't, I just like being on the floor more better. And Lindsay, thank you for me. Is every, it's okay, right? Light and stuff. Is it okay? Our uh, technical people. I'm like just winging it at you this morning. So. <laughs> hey, I want to tell you this really quickly. Uh, Gina, who is up here on the worship team this morning, one of the ladies singing, her and her husband, Chance, are uh, kicking off a new... We've had a marriage ministry in the church for a long time, marriage and relationship, but uh, Mark and Amy Shield have led that ministry for several years and have done a phenomenal job. Yes. And Chance and Gina served underneath them, and Mark and Amy felt like it was time that they turned that ministry over. Chance and Gina uh, have served faithfully under them for several years, and they have an amazing ministry to move our marriage and relationship ministry forward. And... Um, I want to tell you, I was having a conversation with Gina uh, before I forget. It's you don't have to be married to come. It's marriage and relationship. If you, this cracks me up. I'm going to speak in complete sentences in probably two minutes. So just <laughs> hang with me. Um, we, if you get married and one of our pastors performs your ceremony, we require that you go through premarital discipleship. Um, you will spend months and weeks and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of dollars on your wedding, but people are not willing to spend six hours investing in their future. They want to invest in the wedding, but not in the marriage. And what really cracks me up, and bless your heart if you're in here and you've said this to me, that people have said, well, I've already been married before, so I don't need that. Honey, <laughs> honestly, it was said to me, I've been married twice before. I don't need that. <clears throat> okay. Your dress is sucked in the back of your pantyhose and you don't even know it. So <laughs> I'm like, okay. Anyway, uh, Gina and I were talking a few weeks ago and what we were talking about is how the world has a stigma of marriage. And let me... I'm looking around to see if there's young people in here. Um, all y'all will get this. 
I'm just, I'm just going to say it like how we said it. Because let me tell you what. MTV's talking about it. Uh, Dr. Phil's talking about it. You remember Dr. Ruth? Dr. Ruth is talking about it. Some of y'all are like, who? Yeah, Bailey, you're too young. <laughs> Cosmo's talking about it. But the church is not talking about it. And if we're not having the conversation... Our children are having the conversation somewhere else, and we're not coming together to be encouraged and built up the way that the Bible wants us to be. God gave sex to be a beautiful thing. God gave intimacy to be a blessing from the Lord. Who invented it? God did. So who should be having the best sex of anybody? Married Christians. That's who. All of y'all are like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, that's the correct answer. Okay? So here is, here's the thing. What do we see portrayed in culture all the time? Who is having the hottest, most intense, and for the sake of? Who is having the best uh, action? You see it in movies and on TV, in everything it's portrayed. It's the adulterous affair. It's the people who are doing it before they get married. And it's hot and they're doing it everywhere all the time. Right? Until you get married. And then it stops. That's what's portrayed through our culture. That's what's portrayed through media. So that, there's a, a joke. If you, if you want to not have sex anymore, get married. Right? That shouldn't be. It should be that the best, like, the, how, how would it, this would be like the best evangelistic tool ever. If you want to have the best intimacy of your life, get born again and marry somebody that's born again. I'm telling you, it will blow the top of your head off. People would be coming to church in droves. Give me Jesus, right? Okay, this Intentional intimacy is a new group that's starting up once a month. They're going to be meeting the first Thursdays of the month. And that is what their heart is. It's not just that. It's a lot of other stuff. But that's a big part of their heart, okay? But I'm just saying the church isn't having the conversations that we should be having. And this is something that God has put in Darren's and mine's heart. And it was so cool when Gina and I were talking after women's group a couple months ago. And she and I were talking about, like, like God's been talking to me about this. And God's been talking to me about this. And she and I were sharing. And I'm listening to their vision for this group. And I'm thinking... This is going to be great. We are going to need to expand our children's ministry area. All right. Was that good? Gina's fanning herself. She's like, woo! Yes. Amen. Okay, so. Y'all. <clears throat> I'm Lynette, if I've never met you before. <laughs> My husband is not here today. <laughs> he would be giving me the biggest amen on the front row. <laughs> so anyhow, all right. Y'all ready for church this morning? Yes? Okay. Uh, back last fall, Darren and I went to a conference out in Columbus, Ohio. I've never even been to Ohio before. To be honest, I had to look up where that is on the map. Once it gets past Kansas, I don't even really know what's over there. So anyway, never been to Columbus before, but never really wanted to go to Columbus. No offense to Columbus people, but 
I had never had a reason to go, but there was a conference out there called Voice of the Apostles, and there were several people uh, that were ministering there that Darren and I very much enjoy their ministry, and we get a lot from, and um, we had been to one before in Florida, and we loved it, and we blocked off time on our calendar. We made plane reservations. We rented a car. We made a lot of plans to be able to go to this conference. It was an investment (coughs) financially and our time. It was an investment to be there. And as we were preparing to go weeks in advance, months in advance, I had this marked on our calendar. I had a huge expectation for what was going to happen there. Now, I didn't have a specific, like, on the third day, I'm going to walk past an elevator, and the Holy Spirit is going to come out the doors and knock me over. It wasn't anything like that. I just had a really big expectation knowing that I was going to encounter God there. And I knew that I was going to be changed. I knew that something would be different after I went to this conference. Darren and I both had that going. And indeed, we were changed. And then I'm looking at the things that are happening in different pockets and in different places around the world. And the most recent that probably has been talked about the most is the outpouring happening uh, that was happening at Asbury College University. And the different outpourings that are happening on university campuses and people were traveling literally from all over the world to go to Asbury and standing in line for miles to be able to get in. People traveled great distances. People rented cars. They got plane tickets. They took time. It took money to get there. Again, there was an investment. And when they went, people don't make that kind of an investment and travel like that just to, hey, show up, right? There's an expectation, When people go to something like that. How many of you in here have ever been to a, uh, I'm going to say a faith-based conference, a faith-based seminar of some type that was outside of your Sunday service? Raise your hand. Let me have a show of hands. As you were preparing for that and as you went for that, did you have, just think in yourself, did you have an expectation A heightened expectancy in going to that. It may have cost you money to go. Maybe you had to take off of work in order to be able to go. But what is it about that? Why? Why do those type of settings, why do we have that in ourselves that we go to something like that with a heightened expectation? And generally speaking, I don't know if your experience is like mine, but anytime I've gone to a conference or something like that, I receive. I purpose. And anywhere I go, anytime, I, I, I purpose to receive. God, I don't care what's going on. I'm going to receive from you. Amen. But I would like to propose, what if it's not actually the environment, but what if it is the expectation that people are going and carrying in with them when they go, when I go? Yeah. What if it isn't really the speaker? What if it isn't really the worship team with the pyrotechnics and the fog? 
what if it is the people coming into an environment with an expectation to encounter God? That it's really not the environment at all. I don't know. It's just, just a thought. Coffee with Lynette. This is, this is what I stand thinking about. Okay. Um, first, in 2 Kings, not 1 Kings, 2 Kings is right after 1 Kings. For those of you that are wondering. 2 Kings in chapter 4, this is a, an account that came to my mind that I've just been pondering. So I want to read this to you. 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read in the New King James translation. And it says this, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Elisha was one of the prophets. Elisha was the uh, person who picked up the mantle after Elijah. So if you've heard of Elijah, Elisha was the one who picked up the mantle from him. And this woman cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Now, this woman's in a bad spot. This is a bad place. Her husband is dead, and now they're coming to get the only two uh, relatives that she has living that mean anything to her, her sons. And so she's about to lose her sons as well. And so we pick up verse 2. He says, so Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. This is an interesting thing. When the woman comes to him with a problem, he looks at her, and I think that it could be perceived as that he's kind of being a smarty pants. It's like, what do you want me to do for you? She's like, uh, my husband is dead, and they're coming to get my sons. And he's like, what do you want me to do for you? What do you have in your house? And her response to him is, I have nothing but a little bit of oil. So he asks her the question, What do you have in the house? And what I'm wondering is how often do we overlook or not pay attention to what we have, what we have in the house? This woman gave no value to it. Until the prophet spoke to her and brought attention to what she had. What if we're coming to church on Sunday morning, going through the routine, 
just going about our business, and we come in and, and we have stuff going on through the week. We have some things happening. Maybe some of them are pretty serious. Maybe we're coming to church with a pretty heavy burden. Maybe we're dealing with some things that are far beyond our control, far beyond anything that we could have prevented or stopped from happening, but life has rolled over us, and as life has rolled over us, there are things that are happening And we're coming to church and we're praying and we're crying out, God, do this. God, do this. And the whole time, God is saying, I did. I've given to you. What do you have in the house? And our response is we're standing and we're praying and we're worshiping and we come in the doors. I have nothing. What do we have in the house? Now, before I go any further, the oil in scripture, when we read about the oil, oil, a lot of times, most of the time is representative of Holy Spirit. So anytime you read about oil, there is a connection and there's a direct correlation to the Holy Spirit of God that is being shown to us. So what if we're asking God to come and do And God's saying, I did. What do we have in the house? Go with me over to Ephesians chapter 3. And this is is what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to stay in the New King James. Ephesians 3.17 says this. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to jump in here. It's kind of in the middle of a sentence. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Get that. The love of Christ that passes knowledge. That means this right here. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He says that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. So like, how much is that? The fullness of God. The fullness of God. Okay, so when I read that, Either I can just like breeze right over the top of that and just keep on going. But if I believe John 3.16 that says that whosoever would believe on him would be saved. If I believe that if I believe in Jesus, that I'm going to be saved because that's what the Bible says. If I believe that there is a heaven, if I believe that there is a hell, if I believe, and that's why I come to church, then I also have to believe this scripture that says to me that I am filled with the fullness of God. I am not filled to my capacity I'm not filled to my understanding. I'm not filled to my ability. I'm not filled to my education level. I'm not filled to how good I was yesterday. I'm not filled when I'm good. I'm not filled less when I flip somebody off. 
I am filled with the fullness of God. Does that just like, because the scripture, what it says before that is that beyond our knowledge, exceeding our knowledge. So what this is saying is this is letting us know, hey, what I'm about to tell you is going to go far beyond your PhD. Your post hole digger is not going to be able to contain all of that. You are filled with the fullness of God. Everything. Okay, okay, okay. Out of two or three mouths, let every word be established. So you want another one? Those of you that are sitting there like, well, that's just one scripture. Okay, let's go. Over to Colossians, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 27. says, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, well, okay, let's go then again, Colossians 2, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Right before that in Colossians 1, it says that we would have the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ in you. Say the mystery is Christ in me. Christ in me. Christ, Jesus Christ, when Jesus walked on the earth, he walked on the earth to demonstrate to us the character and the nature and the fullness of God. Everything that Jesus did was a direct reflection of who the Father was. Jesus didn't do anything that wasn't completely and totally the action of Heavenly Father. He was the embodiment of God. So everything that was in God was in Jesus, it's in the Holy Spirit. And it says that the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is bigger than my mind can comprehend. What do we have in the house? The scripture tells us that that God does not live in a temple built by man's hands anymore. That he lives in the holy temple, which is us. That we are the temple of God. So the Holy Spirit, the character, the nature, the essence of God lives and dwells on the inside of me. The scripture says that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of us. So what's lacking in that spirit? It's all in me. All of it. What's in the house? What's in your house? The fullness, the creator that created everything that you see. Fullness on the inside of you. All of him. When he gives his spirit to someone, when they are born again, he doesn't say bless your heart. You had a really rough start. So you're only going to get a teaspoon. (laughs) 
you know, and when you, when you, when you prove that you can handle the teaspoon, then we'll try a quarter cup, but the half cup, that's not going to come for a while, right? Until, until you've read so much of your Bible, until you get one of those really big, thick Bibles that look like it would really hurt if you whacked somebody with it, then you can have the half cup. But right now we're just going to start with the little things because you're kind of jacked up, right? God doesn't do that. When he gives his Holy Spirit, it's given in full measure, in fullness. So what is it that we don't have? Nothing. In the Hebrew, that means nothing. We have it all. So, okay, so when Darren was getting ready to, when we were preparing for him, when we had a date for his brain surgery, full disclosure, my prayer was, God, I love my husband like he is. I want him back that way. That's my husband's brain. I want him whole when he comes out of surgery. And I then started praying, if anything, God, wake up parts of him in his brain that have been dormant or haven't been in full operation. Awaken creativity. If I'm going to be praying over his brain, I might as well pray big prayers, right? So I started praying, awaken the creativity, awaken ingenuity that he didn't even know that he had was on the inside of him. God, give him creative inventions. God, show him how to do things that he didn't know how to do before. If he's going to go into surgery and have brain surgery, bring him back a genius. (laughs) Hey, if I'm praying, I'm going to pray big prayers, right? Right? So there's this thing in science, and this is, honestly, this is what made me start thinking about it, is I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this or not, but like a person would have a head injury or a severe trauma to their brain of some sort, and then afterwards they would find out that they were like a concert pianist. Have you ever heard of that? The scientific term for it is sudden savant syndrome. And what it is, is it's when, this is what science has said is if the brain goes through some type of an unusual trauma that often or sometimes the response can be that something awakens in the brain that there is some type of a genius, some type of a talent and a gift in there that had never been accessed before, but because of the trauma that happened to the brain, this comes out. So it's like my husband could have that. He hasn't played the piano for me yet, so I don't know. So anyway, science says, what if all of us have that, but we just haven't learned to access it? Okay, if that can happen with our brain, God made us, so how much of the Holy Spirit do we have that we just haven't learned to access yet? We have it, but we're not appropriating it. So this is what was interesting to me is in this passage. So he, he tells her, you know, go, go get all the vessels that you can, which says that what I'm getting ready to pour out is bigger and more than what you personally have the capacity to contain. 
dude, God is bigger than we have the capacity to contain, right? So he tells her, go and get a bunch of vessels because what I'm getting ready to pour out to you is more than what you can personally handle and more than you can comprehend. And you don't have enough to hold it all. So he tells her to go and get all of the vessels that he can't, that she can. So her sons go and do that. They go in. She begins to pour out the little of nothing that she had and fills all of the vessels. And then the man of God tells her, go and take the vessels that are full and go and sell them, pay off your debt. And then you'll have enough for you and your sons to live on. Now, the Holy Spirit could have poured out all of that oil. The Spirit of God poured out all of that oil and her to sit in her house and go, I got oil, oil, I got oil, oil, oil in all my cabinets, but they're coming to get my sons. Because she would have had everything that she needed to take care of the problem, but she didn't appropriate it in a way that would have provided for her need. She could have just sat on the oil. Oil for all y'all Oklahomans. Right? But it was the wisdom from the man of God that told her, go and sell what you have. What he was telling her is how to appropriate what had been given to her. What if we don't need more of God? What if we just need to remove the limitations that are keeping us from accessing the fullness that we already have? Are you guys going with me here? Are you guys good? Coffee with Lynette. Okay, come on. This is like, so what if it's not, God, we need more of you. What if it is, God, show me all of you that's in me and how to release it. That I don't limit the God on the inside of me. Now, no, 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 no. Everybody, right here, right here. I'm not saying that there are not places and times where the spirit of God pours out in an unprecedented way. I'm not saying that. And it's beautiful when it happens. Okay. okay. What if we all had, like, do you guys have the calendar in your phone? And I, you know, if I don't put it in my calendar, it's not happening. Or at least I forget to show up. So put it in my phone. What if we had in our calendars for today, March 19th, thank you, (laughs) whatever the day is, what if it were in there and we opened up our calendar app and one day we look and we're like, oh my gosh, I didn't put that in there. Supernatural outpouring of God, revival, fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. I'm totally going to church that day. Location, Northern Colorado Cowboy Church. Location, Kingdom Ranch Cowboy Church. Would you show up? I didn't put that in there, but it's on my calendar. How would you show up? What size of container would you bring? How many containers would I bring to church that day? And how how would I come in? Would I, would I hang out in the hospitality area and be like, well, they were kind of weak on the coffee today. Donuts. They don't even give me donuts when I come here anymore. 
Or would you come to church with the posture and the mindset of something is going to happen today? I don't know what it is, but there is an encounter with God today. What if it's not the speaker? What if it's not the worship, whoever is blowing up on the stage? What if it is our posture and our attitude and our mindset, our thinking and our expectation, our investment when we come into church? What would it be like if you bought a ticket to the Super Bowl and you were standing out in the parking lot all by yourself amid all of the cars and you're standing there with the person that you came with and you're like, man, I don't know when the game's going to start. And meanwhile, they're already through the fourth quarter and you're still standing in the parking lot waiting for the game to start. That was a big investment for that ticket. And you're missing the game. What if, what if, what if revival is happening and you're standing in the parking lot? What if God is saying, you know what? I've given you fullness. I've given you, I have given you the very spirit that raised my crucified son, Jesus Christ from the dead and rolled away a stone, not so that he could get out, but as pastor Greg said, so that you could see in to see the power and the glory of God at work. And now I am telling you that the mystery that nobody knew the answer to, I'm going to tell you the answer. It's Christ in you in fullness, the glory. Glory of God in fullness is on the inside of every person that has said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But we come to church Y'all, I do it. So I'm not sitting here doing this. I'm asking myself the question. I'm asking myself, what is the mindset and what is the posture that I go to VOA in Columbus, Ohio with? And what is the posture that I'm coming to church to be with my church family? My family. These are the people that I pray for. These are the people that I've walked with. These are the people that I love more than anyone on the face of the earth. My family. I get to come to church with the people that I love. If I love them, it's because God loves them. What am I expecting? What am I expecting for you? What am I praying for you? What am I expecting for myself? This is, this is one reason that it is important to be invested because if it costs you nothing, it means nothing. If it costs you nothing to come to church, it means nothing to you. But the minute that you're invested, it's different. It changes. It changes the mindset. It changes the way you think about it. It changes the way you see the people. It changes the way you think about the people when you're invested. If you're not a tither and a giver somewhere, you need to be. Get invested. If you're not serving, you need to be. 
not because we need people to serve and fill spots, but because it opens a door for you to receive in a whole nother level and to connect with the spirit of God in another way. What is the posture? Just, and this is not, this is, please, please hear me. This is not meant to bring any shame or any like guilt upon anybody. That's not it at all. And if that's the feeling that's in your heart right now, we're just going to take authority over that and we're going to shut it down right now. What this is meant to do is for us to have the opportunity to ask ourselves, God, what is it that you're wanting to do through me that I just brought a teaspoon of expectancy when God, you had a limitless supply for me? What would, what would worship look like if we all came to church with this expectation of, I don't even know what's happening up in the front, but by golly, I am going to run over somebody and I will pray for the healing later because I'm getting up there. Right? Man. What would happen if we came to church with the mindset that everything that was in the breath of God when he breathed into Adam is on the inside of me. Who needs, who, who needs what I have on the inside of me? Who can I bump into that it's just going to get God glitter all over them? We would look at other people different. We would, we would begin to look at ourselves differently. We wouldn't see ourselves with the limitations of what we should have done in the past, what we shouldn't have done in the past. We wouldn't see ourselves through the eyes of inability. We wouldn't see ourselves through the eyes of, of shame and guilt. We would see ourselves through the fullness of God. And see, the fullness of God is not measured in a measurement that I can measure. Fullness of God is measured with the measurement of eternity. I don't have a cupboard in my house big enough for that measuring cup. It's huge. The measurement of eternity. The past several weeks, Darren has been reading to us out of Romans chapter 12. And in verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed... By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's been talking about transformation, the power and the presence and the glory of God. But then, because I'm me, let's read it out of the Passion Translation. And it says this. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. See, a transformed mind isn't just separating from the way that the world thinks. A transformed mind is connecting and partnering with the fullness of the way God thinks. So it's not just leaving behind limitation. It is connecting with eternal potential. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. That's what God's wanting us to do. 
So just very, very simply, what are the things that hinder us from doing that? What keeps us from experiencing and appropriating the fullness of God on the inside of us? One, very simple, is being led by your emotions and not by the spirit. Emotions, a lot of times we've been told that emotions are bad, that it's bad if you have emotion. Emotion is perfectly normal. It's perfectly healthy. You were built in the likeness and the image of God. God had emotions, has emotions, but he's not led by them. We have emotions to let us know. When you, when, when you have something happen and immediately you go into rage, okay, where is that coming from? That emotion is happening as a signal for you to be able to say, Okay, there's something going on here. Why is that making me act like that? And whenever, like the saying, well, they just push my buttons. Your emotion is there to allow you to find out where the buttons are so that you can remove them so that you don't have any buttons to be pushed. Emotions are not a bad thing. Emotions are very helpful. Emotions are healthy. However, we're not to be led by our emotions. So the answer to that is being led by the spirit. Our emotions come into submission to the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. The next one is not practicing thankfulness. That will hinder appropriating the fullness of God on the inside of us. When we're not walking and cultivating a lifestyle of gratitude, what happens is our mind begins to think on, begins to meditate on, begins to focus on everything that we think that God isn't doing. That's where our thoughts go. That's where our energy goes. That's where our our uh, thought of, okay, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about that? Because this isn't happening in this time. This isn't happening when I thought it should happen and I need this to happen faster. So we start focusing on everything that we think God isn't doing rather than focusing and putting our energy and attention into everything that God is doing. Gratitude and thankfulness are a natural outflow when we begin to focus and meditate on and think on all of the good things that God has done. You're here today. You're breathing today. Your eyelids are working today. Yay. There's so much to be thankful for. And when you start being thankful, like think about just little tiny things and being thankful for those little tiny things and the little tiny things lead to the big things. Being thankful for the little will cause you to grow in an attitude of gratitude to where you start partnering and seeing and the things that are the biggest in your eyes are the things that God is doing. It's the beauty that God puts around you. It's all of the wonder that God puts before you. And before you know it, you're just thinking about how good God is all the time. And when you're thinking about how good God is all the time, the fullness that's on the inside of you is stirring and it just can't wait to get out. He's just that good. The last one that I want to mention that will hinder appropriating the fullness of God is the best way that I can say it is continually, habitually, knowingly sinning against God. In other words, rebellion. When we know that God is dealing with us, 
and God is asking us to do something or not do something, and we continue to do that thing knowingly, continually, habitually, that is sin. When God, and that, again, right here. What does not access the fullness is you being the police for everyone else's sin. That doesn't help you. <laughs> that hinders the fullness on the inside of you. So, like, the thing is, like, what if we know that this is the line that God has said? Don't, don't cross that line. And we're like, okay. I'm safe. All it takes is just a little bit of wind to push you over into a place that causes you to not be able to walk in God's best for your life. That's what sin does. Sin causes us to miss out on God's best. God's best encounters. God's best outpouring. So if I know that's the line, perfect love puts me back in the drum cage. <laughs> I don't even I don't even need to get close to that. I don't desire that. I don't want that because once you've tasted the goodness of God, whatever's on the other side of that line, I don't want it anymore. The other thing is there's opportunities. <sighs> More than don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Here's the word that I hear for us is God is saying, I've given you this. I've given you this. I've given you this. Do something with it. Don't sit any longer thinking that you're not good enough, that you're not educated enough, that you don't know enough of the scripture, that you don't have it all figured out, that you're not all together and that you aren't perfect yet. God is saying, come on. The fullness is on the inside of you. I've given you everything that you need. Let it out. And God is wanting to enjoy that with us. He's wanting. He knows what it looks like. God's not afraid of what you look like letting the fullness come out. He thinks it's pretty cool. And what will that look like? I don't know. Rhett, if you want to go ahead and come up are we making room for what is in us to be poured out what's in the house the thing that was interesting to me is once all of the containers were full and there was nothing left to pour out into the oil stopped and see here's the thing is if we have a full container and the house is full but we're not doing anything with it what's the point of continuing to pour out it's not going anywhere. It's not doing anything but just sitting in a jar somewhere tucked away in a cupboard. When the Holy Spirit has been given to us, the super cool thing about God is, is you can never outpour him. You can never outpour God. 
The minute that you pour out, the minute that you show love, the minute that you pray over someone, the minute that you step into extravagant worship, the minute that you pour love without fear of rejection, the minute that you do that, you begin to pour out the oil. And when you pour out the oil, God says, look at that. And he just begins to pour to where your cup is just overflowing. There's so much that you can't contain it. That's why um, Elisha said, go get more. Go get more jars because you don't have enough in your house to contain everything that I want to pour out to you. It's going to require that you hook up with other people because other people are going to need what I'm going to pour out to you. See, there's people that are sitting around you right now that need what you have in you. No one can express the essence of God the way that you can. There's anybody else in this room that can express him the way that you can. I need your expression of the Godhead. I need to experience that. It blesses me so much to watch people worship. I love to watch the anointing. I love watching the anointing. And the anointing is very simply, again, that can be a big church word. The anointing is just very simply God smeared on the outside of people. God smeared on the inside of people. God poured out all over them. So when you think about taking oil and just smearing it all over somebody, that's the anointing. It's God through us. If you consider this to be your church, you have oil smeared on you that somebody else needs smeared on them. And here's the super cool part is when you start smearing the stuff that's in them that they didn't even know that was in them starts getting smeared. And they're like, whoa, I didn't even know that I could do that. But God has that on the inside of all of us. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are on the inside of all of you. The fruit of the Spirit is on the inside of all of you. And we all need to experience that with one another. That's why we're church family. Like, I don't know about you guys, but when you get together for a meal, doesn't everybody bring a dish, right? I need your dish. You didn't know that you needed my sweet potato casserole, but you do. Everybody brings something to the family meal. So what if we started coming to church with the expectation of, I don't know what's going to happen there. And maybe some of you will. Maybe God will give you words of wisdom. Maybe God will give you words of knowledge and show you things. Here's what's going to happen today. You're like, sweet, I cannot wait. Others of you, what if we came to church with just, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I know that I'm going to leave in a place that I've never been before. I'm going to experience something with God that I've never experienced before. So I'm going to ask everybody just to settle in for just a moment. Years ago, I found a quote by a man named William Booth who was uh, born in the early 1800s in the UK. And he was called the prophet to the poor. Is what the what the people called him in that time. And he would later become the gentleman that would be the first general of the Salvation Army. He was the one who started the Salvation Army. He was a wonderful evangelist and man of God. His name was William Booth. And my favorite quote 
from William Booth and I started putting it underneath my signature on everything that I send out. It says, I am not waiting on a move of God. I am a move of God. And just settling in where you're at right now, I want you to begin to meditate on that. I want you just to close your eyes. And if you would, I want you to hold your hands open like this with your palms out like somebody's getting ready to put something really great in your hands. I want you to hear that. I want you to say that to yourself right now. I'm not waiting on a move of God. I am a move of God. I'm not waiting on the fullness of God. I have the fullness of God. Holy Spirit, teach me how to appropriate what you've given to me. Father, I choose to take off the limitations. I choose to take off whatever lie I've been believing that causes me to think that I don't have all of you. Father, I choose to partner with what you are doing and to be thankful for what you're doing. And Father, I choose to not be led by my emotions. I choose to be led by the Holy Spirit. I am led by your spirit. I do know what you're doing. I do hear your voice. And Father, in the name of Jesus, any area of my life where I have been in rebellion, where I have not said yes to you with a full yes, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I repent. Repentance is the biggest gift. It is the gift of freedom because the minute that you repent from anything where you need to hear it here, keep your eyes closed, but just listen to my words. Anywhere where you're feeling shame, where you feel guilt, where you feel afraid to draw near to God because of something that's happening in your life, whether that be um, an alcohol addiction, a drug addiction, an extramarital affair, whether that be a relationship that you know is not for you, whether that be pornography, whatever that might be, whatever it is that causes you to feel shame and guilt and like, I'm not good enough to get close to God, that is the very whisper of the devil. Straight up. Because here's what God says. God says, come sit in my lap. Get as close to me as you can because I gave my son for you. And there's nothing that you're dealing with that the blood of Jesus won't take care of. Nothing. There is no sin. There's no... There's no rebellion. There's no thing from the past. Yeah, but you don't know how many people I slept with. Doesn't matter. You don't know what I shot up with last night. It doesn't matter. Any guilt, any shame. You don't know how I talked to my spouse last night. Doesn't matter. Repent. Repentance is simply saying, God, I turn away from that. And I don't agree with that because that is not who I am. And I choose to say yes to who you say that I am. And you say that I am loved. You say I am whole. You say that I was born because you wanted me, God. You say that I'm not fatherless. You say that I'm not motherless. You say that I am wanted. You say that I do have identity. You say that there is nothing wrong with the way that I was made. I might feel uncomfortable in my skin sometimes, but you say there's nothing wrong with the way that I was made. 
perfect. And God, I say, yes, do you say that I am? I am filled with the fullness of God. I am filled with the fullness of God. The very first step to that is just saying yes to Jesus. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life before, right now, is the most opportune time. Just say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I say yes to you. And if you've never done that before, I'm gonna ask right now if our prayer team would go ahead and just come to the front. Anybody in here who is on the prayer team, if you would just come to the front, whether you're scheduled today or not. We have prayer people here who are not here today. They are the most non-judgmental people. They are so full of love and they are full of testimony and courage. And if you need somebody to pray with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to come right now. I feel like we're not supposed to wait. If you want somebody to agree with you to say, this is not who God says that I am. And I want to say yes to who God says that I am. I'm going to ask you to get up and come right now. All it takes is one. And then when you come, others will come because you smear them. There's the one that's smearing the barrier breaker. Anybody else? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Come, come, come. Prayer team, if you guys would, just spread out across the front. And if you need prayer, just come to somebody on the prayer team right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Anybody else? Thank you, Father. I'm going to end with this. I want you to say this. I'm not waiting on a move of God. I am a move of God. The fullness of God is on the inside of me. In Jesus' name.